You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Poll out this morning asking, have you started your Christmas shopping yet? Only 18% of people said that they've actually started their Christmas shopping. Still, a very, very large majority of people have said, I haven't started yet. You're too late. It's, it's already over with. <laughs> Christmas shopping should be done. No, this is, uh, this is going to be a bit of a problem this year. And this is one thing that everybody's kind of looking at right now is the supply chain disruptions, of course, that we've been talking about now for a while. And it was interesting, uh, Joe, Joe Biden made a comment uh, on Friday, I believe it was, saying, well, that the average person, if you said at a restaurant, ask the person next to you about what a supply chain disruption was, they, they wouldn't know what you're talking about. He's very wrong on this. People get it. People understand what's happening here. And if you're in any business, involved in any business at all, that buys, sells, or ships products, you're having a hard time getting a hold of stuff. And this is just, and this is a big problem coming out of the port of, uh, really kind of uh, Long Beach, California. Um, there are more than 500,000 containers waiting to be offloaded onto the port. Simply cannot get those containers out. Uh, not enough truckers. There's a whole variety of reasons of backlogs. Uh, but this is going to weigh on the Christmas season. Couple of, uh, a couple of points on this, right? I mean, prices are going to be higher for the things that you want for sure. And of course, just being able to get stuff that you may want may be problematic. So again, um, you know, this is going to be one of those things where we'll see how this plays out. But over the course of the next couple of months, we could certainly see some real problems here on the retail front as we get into the end of the year. Again, again, you know, we're we're moving into some of the biggest holiday shopping seasons uh, season of the year. Of course, Halloween right up there at the top in terms of shopping. Thanksgiving right around the corner. And of course, my wife put up Christmas lights this weekend, so she's very excited now. But she's very upset at the same time, Brent. Why is this? Well, she ordered another Christmas tree for the house. Another Christmas she, tree? Another Christmas tree. Now, what's, I, but what's, it, what's the total at this well, point? Well, no, no, no. We, we were, she was replacing an old Christmas tree. Oh. So she ordered a new Christmas tree, and she ordered a six-and-a-half-foot, you know, hmm. white Christmas tree. Ah. Showed up at the house. She set it up. She goes, honey... And I said, yes, babe. She says, this tree's not big enough. We need another one. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean you need another one? And she's like, well, we need to put, you know, we'll have one on one side of the fireplace and one on the other. And I'm like, no, we're not. <laughs> Send that one back. No, wait, you got to hear the story. I go, Send that one back and get you a taller tree. Yeah. Right? Yeah. She's like, yeah, but that's so much work to box it back up and have to drive it down. I could just buy another tree. I'm like, no, <laughs> one tree is all you can. So needless to say, I slept on the couch this weekend, but we're only getting another tree. So <laughs> the saga of Christmas trees in my household. I will take a picture of it when it's all done and yeah. I will post it. Yeah. This is kind of an annual event on our Twitter page is my wife's Christmas tree. She does do a very good job of decorating trees. So I will give her that, but we are battling over one tree. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see what happens. Good okay. luck, Lance. <laughs> okay, a couple of quick things this morning. Uh, we're going to get into on the show talking about the infrastructure bill that was passed over the weekend. Now, this was the original infrastructure $1.2 trillion package that was using some leftover money from COVID spending. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me just clear something up for you reusing money that was not spent to start with does not mean it's free money. It was still money issued on debt. So this, <laughs> this is still money that's got to be paid back. It didn't money. It was not money that just magically showed up out of tax revenue collection, et cetera, or a budget. 
any stretch of the imagination. So this idea of when they say, well, it's all paid for because well, we're just basically having 500 million in new spending, which has to come from debt also, by the way, uh, that is really it. But again, we're going to go through what's in that bill this morning. There is a lot of garbage in that bill that uh, just got passed, not surprisingly, of course, and really nothing for down the road for actually good, cheap, clean, efficient energy. Uh, none of that in that bill as well, which is probably one of the one things that we should have been focusing on. But we'll get into that bill this morning a bit, talk more about the markets. But in this weekend's newsletter, if you go to the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, click on the newsletter link at the top. We ask a simple question this weekend. Did the Federal Reserve just set the stock market up for a crash? Um, that we go through the analysis. Look, markets right now, very, very extended. In fact, we're now three standard deviations above the 50-day moving average. That is stretching a rubber band as far as you can stretch it and then trying to pull it a little bit more. Now, either eventually you have to relax the rubber band or breaks. That's all it means. Uh, just means the markets are very, very stretched in the short term. Option speculation at all-time highs. The number of people buying put options. Now, these are people betting on a stock market crash, right? Or, or some type of, of decline in the market. And they want to buy put options to hedge their portfolio, their positions. That's at a record low. People are not afraid of a correction at all at this point. But we're about to move into the three weeks of the year where a correction typically happens. Now, that doesn't mean the market's going to be down 10%. All right, no, it's just we're going to get, you know, the market is going to pull back probably towards the 50 day moving average. That's going to be about a three to 4% correction. That will align with the fact, as we talked about last week, mutual funds are getting ready to make their annual distributions. That's going to put some selling pressure on the markets. So, again, not surprising about that. Um, we did also trigger our money flow sell signal on Friday as well. That suggests that downside pressure is building in the market. Doesn't mean again that you're going to have a major correction. Nothing to worry about here, but doing a little bit of profit taking here. Stocks that have had huge runs as of late may want to sell a little bit. Just trim it back to, you know, if you had an original position portfolio of 2% and it's now 25 or 3%, just trim it back to 2 Go back to your original weight. It can grow again. And uh, one thing we'll be doing here on the show in the next... Uh, few days, maybe or next week, we're going to do a piece talking about tending the garden. I do this about once a year, talking about how to manage your portfolio like tending a garden. We'll go, we'll go through that, but there's a lot of similarities between portfolio risk management and gardening. And this is one of those processes. Now, the good news here is the MACD is still positive at this point. And again, until you get a confirmation between the money flow sell signal and the MACD, not a tremendous amount to worry about. But the MACD is extremely extended here and beginning to narrow. And this suggests that we're likely to get a MACD sell signal within the next couple of weeks. If we do and we get an alignment of the money flow signal and the MACD, and I know this is a lot of technical mumbo jumbo, particularly if you're in your car <laughs> right now and can't see the screen. Um, it, all it suggests is, is that there's real risk rising here. And from a technical basis, we're just in that position in the markets that suggests you're going to get a pullback here. So again, nothing to worry about here. You don't go sell everything to the cash, but this is a great time to go in, start lifting a little bit of profit out, raising a little bit of cash. Why is that important? Well, if I have a little bit of cash raised, if I trim back a position and I have some cash, when the market does correct, guess what I can do with that cash? I can buy some stuff cheaper. If I don't sell anything, I don't have any cash to buy with. So I miss opportunities when they come along in the market. So 
you know, investors do a really great thing about buying stocks. They're terrible at selling them. And uh, in fact, I did an interview with Charles Payne on Fox Business on Friday talking about this very same thing. We're just at that point. Everything cycles in the market, short term and long term. We're just at that point where, look, take a little bit of cash off the table. Certainly not going to hurt you at all. And again, when you have a little bit of a correction in the market, you can buy some stuff back that you've been wanting to own at a little bit cheaper price. Quick break, we're gonna come back, we're gonna talk about the infrastructure plan. We've gotta get into Elon Musk's sale of 10% of his stock and his Twitter idea. This is a great idea. We'll talk about it when we come back from the break. Don't go away. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Real Science Roberts. All right, well, uh, let's get into the big news from over the weekend and uh, talk about the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, and we'll talk about everything that's in it and everything that you don't really want in it that's in it. <laughs> and this is, you know, this is always the problem with these bills. You know, um, we need to go back in history here for just one second and talk about how government used to be run. And I know this is passe, um, and we're never going to go back to doing government this way because it's obviously smart and efficient do it the way we used to do it. Um, but back prior to World War I, Congress had to pass a bill for each line item of spending. So if you wanted to spend money on, just as an example, um, you know, high-speed rail, as an example, I'm just throwing something out there, broadband, pick your number. You had to pass a bill for that spending for that item. When World War I came along, of course, this was when, you know, there was had to do all the spending all at one time. And so this is where we came up with this idea that we would just bundle stuff together into one bill and we could pass a whole lot of spending at one time. It was more efficient at the moment for dealing with the war effort. Uh, the problem was is that after the war was over, and as usual with government, we don't go back to the way we used to do things. You know, once a government program becomes a government program, it becomes that way for life. And this really developed and fostered a very bad habit for government over the next, you know, 100, 100 years. And now when we pass bills, it's the bills are not written, obviously, by congressmen, right? They're written by aides and lobbyists, mostly. So there's all kinds of stuff in these bills that really shouldn't be there. But since the congressmen really don't read the bill and know what's in it until after the fact, and this became readily apparent when Nancy Pelosi told us about the Affordable Care Act that we have to pass it to see what's in it. I mean, that is ludicrous on every basis of government function. But here we are, just past $1.2 trillion in spending for infrastructure. Now, this is hailed as a, a great package. Now, interestingly, only 13 Republicans voted for this. And even... I believe it was six or nine Democrats opposed it. So, you know, we'll see what happens here. I think a lot of people are going to go home and go, I didn't vote for that infrastructure package because of what's in it. But let's talk about this. this now, again, this is the way they're spending at this point. It's only $550 billion in new spending, right? Because we're going to use some of the old leftover COVID relief money that was issued with debt. And we're only going to add $550 million to that to pay for this $1.2 trillion. So this thing's almost paid for. No, you still borrowed the money. Just because I borrowed money and then went back to the bank and borrowed more money, you still owe all the money. Okay? You just owe more of it now. 
So nothing's actually paid for in this bill, and most of it will not pay for itself. And, and look, here's let's go back to one other piece of conversation that we've had numerous times on the show. In order for deficit spending to be productive, it has to pay for itself, right? So if I borrow money to go build a business, then the business can pay back through its cash flows and revenues that debt. That's a productive use of debt. If I borrow money to buy groceries and then I eat the groceries, that's great, except now that I have no way to pay back the debt. Government spending, when done on a deficit format, should be done in a productive manner. In other words, each item that you invest into using debt should have an ability to pay itself back through some form of revenue. We used to do this. We used to borrow money to build things like the Hoover Dam. We borrowed the money, the fees, and revenue that the dam collects from providing electricity to citizens through, through taxes pays for the debt. And it's not only paid off that debt over the decades, it has become a hugely profitable investment. That's great. We need more of that stuff. Tennessee River Valley Authority, so forth and so on. Nowadays, though, we spend things on things that don't make money, like Amtrak. Amtrak has never made money. It's a black hole of transportation, yet we keep throwing more and more money at hoping someday that it'll actually become profitable. It won't. But anyway, before I run out of time for the segment, let's drill down into what's a bill. Roads and bridges. So, of course, 2,700-page uh, bill. Who actually read it? Uh, that total would be zero. Um, <laughs> roads and bridges, $110 billion of funds going to improve the nation's roads and bridges. Look, I don't really have a problem with that. That needs to be done. And as we've talked about before, the U.S. government only has the, the two functions of government. Two, national security and infrastructure. That's it. Education, energy, all the other nonsense belongs to the states. Constitutionally, infrastructure, security. So roads and bridges. I'm with you. $110 billion, Need to do it. Public transit. This package includes the largest ever federal investment into public transit, $39 billion to modernize systems, including access for elderly people with disabilities and repair more than 24,000 buses, 5,000 rail cars, and thousands of miles of rain tracks. Okay. Transportation. Okay. Amtrak. Not okay. <laughs> Since 50 years ago, when Amtrak was created, it's never made money. We're just throwing another $66 billion into it, which is a annual boondoggle for Amtrak. Uh, broadband internet, tacking on to the billions that were already authorized last year by the American Rescue Plan. Infrastructure bill includes $65 billion to bolster broadband. Um, ladies and gentlemen, why is the government putting $65 billion into broadband? That's a private company situation. Verizon, AT&T, they're the ones that can lay the pipe. They have the revenues, and they're the ones that, that are responsible for pretty much for running the broadband service that you pay for. That should be a private investment not paid for by government. Electric grid. Uh, clean energy measures were cut from the bill to satisfy lawmakers. $65 billion investment to help upgrade the nation's electric grid. Again, national security. That's okay. Electric cars and buses and ferries. Uh, $7.5 billion to the nation's first network of electric vehicle chargers along the highway corridors. That's fine as long as you're going to charge users for the usage of it. So, in other words, if you pay for higher taxes for or pay or, or collect taxes through the use of the charging stations, et cetera, then, yeah, it could potentially pay for itself. Okay. 
Clean water, Great Rivers and Lakes, $48 billion for that. Airports, $25 billion uh, for that. That's on more than $115 billion of the project backlogs. Uh, road safety, $11 billion in transportation safety programs, including a new program to help states and localities reduce crashes and fatalities. That does not pay for itself. Okay, here's this crazy stuff. Real quick, we'll get into this. Republicans just helped Democrats pass $500 million for tree equity. Trees need to be equitable, I guess. $500 million for transportation, resilience, and adaption centers of excellence. Have no idea what that even is, but we just spent $500 million on it. Um, $200 million for congestion relief program. This is a climate change program to impose fees for parking and driving during peak hours. $70 billion in COVID relief. Uh, Problems uh, just passed this. Another $400 million uh, for COVID relief. Again, um, here we are. Pfizer, private companies making billions upon billions upon billions of dollars. Stop with government spending for COVID relief. The, the healthcare companies can make their own money with this, and they're doing just fine. Um, Republicans uh, voted for $1.4 billion to protect grants uh, and um, another climate change initiative. Disadvantaged businesses. Um, yeah. So, this, so somehow the government is going to pick out which business is disadvantaged versus an advantaged business and give them money. Yeah, nothing's going to go wrong with that. $75 million for a study on how to enact income-based road usage fees. Does it really take $75 million to figure out how to, and to you know, create a road-based usage fee? I mean, honestly. And if you're going to move to all electric and we're going to lose our revenue from gasoline taxes, when are you going to start taxing electric cars? That's got to come. Speaking of that, uh, $750 million for the Metropolitan Area Transit Authority. That's, a, that's what we call a gimme, which is now, this, now we're about to start getting the stuff that uh, benefited to get senators, uh, sorry, congressmen to vote for this. What did we give to some states to get a vote, right? How did we buy the votes? Well, there's 75, $750 million for the D.C. area. Um, Republican area, uh, <laughs> $2.1 billion for North Dakota. Carbon dioxide pipelines. Uh, that was a payout for Senator Kevin Kramer uh, to get his vote. Republicans also passed <laughs> secure $50 million for secure geologic storage permitting. Four regional carbon caption, uh, capture hubs of $3.5 billion. Four regional clean hydrogen hubs, $8 billion. Clean hydrogen manufacturing recycling, $500 million. And clean hydrogen electrolysis program, apparently got to have hair removal for hyd hydrogen, uh, $1 billion for that. Um, <laughs> here's the point with all this. Look, uh, so you can make a case like, oh, yeah, we need to have a clean storage hub. Okay, great. How's it going to pay for it? Right. Again, we go back to this whole idea that deficit spending, in order to be productive, in order to create economic growth, has to pay for itself. The vast majority of the $1.2 trillion is what we call non-productive investment. It does not pay back for itself. And ultimately, that additional debt and the interest service on the debt leads to slower economic growth. And in this case, because of passing the bill now, when you already have spiking rates of inflation, this additional input into the economy of this capital is going to lead to further inflation. Now, the question is, is this going to be a massive boost to the economy? Absolutely not. $1.2 is $120 billion a year over 10 years. 
um, as and of course the other problem as Barack Obama found out when he was president these infrastructure projects are never quite shovel ready and in many cases never get done at all and there's a very big probability that a lot of these projects and spending will actually never get done be right back after the break we'll get into Elon Musk over the weekend he asked Twitter should he sell 10% of his stock the answer will surprise you and it was a great idea. And we'll tell you why when we come back from the break. Don't go away. So over the weekend, I read an interesting article that uh, NASA has not watched the movie Armageddon yet. In the movie Armageddon, right, uh, this massive asteroid's heading towards Earth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the ideas was just to shoot a missile at it. And, you know, that would, you know, deflect the asteroid from hitting Earth. And, of course... You know, it just doesn't work that way when, depending on the size and the speed of the asteroid. Well, NASA apparently didn't watch all the, you know, really good science that Michael Mann put behind Ar Armageddon. Oh, right? yeah. 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 So good science. Good science. Yeah. You know, top top experts there. <laughs> Big math. But so uh, over the weekend, NASA announced that they're going to launch a satellite at an asteroid to see if they can deflect it off its path just to test it out. <laughs> This is this is going to be part of a new experiment to see if we can improve Earth's defenses against mm -hmm. asteroids. Yeah, yeah, we're going to launch satellites at uh, <laughs> asteroids. And how much does that satellite cost? I don't know, but if the if the asteroid tracks off its course, it ain't an asteroid, <laughs> right? <laughs> or if it dodges, it, if it that's what I mean. If it if it suddenly dodges <laughs> the asteroid, it, it ain't a, it ain't an asteroid. Yeah, it, it's transformers. They're coming anyway. Seriously. Uh, over the weekend, uh, Elon Musk did something very interesting. Put out a tweet that got over 3.7 million comments. So I, I would call this a decent poll sampling, mm -hmm. right? He puts out a two-question tweet. He says, should I say, he says, much is made, let me just read you the tweet. And I'm going to tell you why this is brilliant on his part. Much is made lately of unrealized gains being a means of tax avoidance. Okay, now what's he talking about? If, you, if you've been on some other planet as of late, the Democrats have been trying to push through a bill to tax the wealthy. And there's been multiple variations of this idea of trying to tax more of the wealthy from a billionaire's tax to a millionaire's tax to a tax on incomes over 400000 And then one of the latest innovations was a tax on capital gains. And, and, and the, the premise of the Democrats was that billionaires can avoid paying tax because they can invest in things like their business, where they hire a lot of employees and, and make money for the, for the country in which they pay taxes on. That they can avoid paying they can avoid paying tax because they don't ever have to sell their holdings, so they can just have this tax-free appreciation in their investment without ever having to pay any taxes. So we're going to start charging them a gain uh, taxes on their gains every year. So if you have an unrealized gain in 2022 on your Tesla stock, you would have to pay a tax on that unrealized gain. Now, there's a lot of bad things that come out of that idea. And one of that is going to be a much more volatile stock market because if there's no benefit of holding long-term to avoid paying taxes, it's a problem for the markets. But why was this smart for Elon? Well, 
look, <laughs> Tesla stock is now $1,200 a share. It is more than 50% in terms of market capitalization of the entire auto industry. It is bigger in terms of market capitalization than every other automaker combined. Valuation is certainly a problem. However, if Elon Musk just went out there and started selling his shares of stocks, that, you know, what would people think, right? Have you lost faith in your own company? Is that why you're out selling shares? I mean, you know, there's a whole group of investors that simply track insider buys and sells, right? If, if insiders are buying shares of the company, must mean they believe in the company. If they're selling shares of the company, mm, that'd be a problem. So if Elon Musk just went out there and said, hey, I'm, you know, and, and just sold his shares of his company and then filed his 13F, which is the form he has to file with, with the Securities and Exchange Commission, and all of a sudden that showed up on the insider selling list that Elon Musk had sold 10% of his stake. Might not be so good for the company. Might spook a lot of investors to start selling their shares. So how could you get around that? How could you get to a position to where you know your company is vastly overvalued? This is as good as it gets on many fronts for Tesla. Right? Massive amount of competition coming. Cadillac, Ford, you know. Porsche, BMW, everybody's coming out with new electric vehicles, right? Competition's about to get very hot and heated for consumers. There's only so many consumers, and there's plenty, there's plenty of electric vehicles coming to market that's going to eat into market share ultimately. So if I'm Elon Musk, I'm sitting there going, I am really stinking rich here. Uh, maybe I should sell some of this stock. Because as long as it's in the stock, I don't actually have cash. Yes, on paper, I am the richest man in the world, I'm even richer than, than uh, Jeff Bezos at this point, but unless I sell some shares, that's just on paper. I don't have any actual money to spend. So how do I convert those shares into actual cash wealth that I can take with me? I have to sell some shares. But how do I do that without losing faith of my investor lesions that idolize me how do I sell my shares without destroying their trust and their faith? Well, I do that by a very, a very carefully crafted tweet message. Let me read it again for you. Much is made lately of unrealized capital gains being a means of tax avoidance. So I propose selling 10% of my Tesla stock. Tell me how you feel about it. Yes or no? Now, he followed this up with a couple of other tweets behind that saying, you know, the only way that I can pay the tax is I have to sell some shares. Basically alluding to the fact what I told you, he's paper rich and cash poor. Quote, unquote. That's not really true. But his point was, if I'm going to sell $20 billion worth of stock, which is 10% of his shares, I've got I've to sell that stock in order to pay the capital gains tax. In other words, if, if Congress passed this bill to charge capital gains, he didn't have the cash to pay for the capital gains. He needed to sell some shares. So he went to the market to say, hey, what do y'all think about it? 57.9%. Oh, and he also said that no matter what the poll said, he would abide by the poll. Okay, this is also important. So if the poll came out and mass and, and the vast majority of people said don't sell shares, he would not sell his shares. However, the poll came out, 57.9% said yes, sell your shares. 42.1% said no. 
This morning, the stock is down 5%. Not surprising, right? Because he's going to sell 10% of his holdings. That's $20 billion worth of stock. That is no small amount. Brilliant move on Elon Musk. Because, again, now he has avoided the whole insider selling situation to where he potentially sell shares and undermines the faith of other holders. He's now gotten their approval. He's gotten 57.9% of 3.7 million people out there on Twitter that follow him saying, yeah, go ahead and sell it. He has made a public announcement. He's selling his shares. Yeah, the stock's down this morning because of it. But he's avoided a whole bunch of other scrutiny in the media, media scrutiny, not not legal scrutiny or anything else. There's nothing wrong with him selling his shares. I don't want to imply that at all. But if he had sold his shares, of course, there'd be a massive amount of media scrutiny. Why was Elon Musk selling his shares? Does he think something's wrong with the company? What thing's not, sell's going to be weak? Is that what he's trying to tell us? You know, everybody be speculating on what the problem was. Now you don't have to. He's simply selling his shares to, you know, avoid a capital gains tax that has not been passed. Genius. I have, to, I have to admit, smarter than I thought he was. <laughs> He's a cagey one, isn't he? He's a cagey one. He is. Um, but nonetheless, um, he said, and like I said, uh, he says, note, I do not take a cash salary. This is part of his tweet. Note, I do not take a cash salary or bonus from anywhere. I only have stock. Thus, the only way for me to pay taxes personally is to sell stock. So there you go. Um it was noted on Monday morning that Tesla sold 54,391 China-made vehicles in October and exported 40,000 units uh, this month. That was according to the Chinese Passenger Car Association. 13,725 of those vehicles were sold by Tesla in China. Uh, it's a negative 2.9% drop in Chinese-made vehicles on a month-over-month -month basis. So maybe the timing of the tweet may also have something to do with what's coming up. Uh, in the near future in terms of auto sales, particularly, as I said, as more and more car makers. Now, I don't know if you have been watching TV over the weekend. GM has been running a lot of new uh, commercials for their brand new Cadillac all-electric vehicle, which is a pretty phenomenal looking car. And, you know, hybrids. And in fact, Ford is now launching a brand new hybrid midsize pickup truck, kind of bringing back the old Ford Ranger uh, which is actually getting a lot of traction with female drivers. They they like this little smaller pickup truck. So they say, you know, women don't drive trucks. You might be wrong. Uh, but the new Ford, this, this the the new Ford uh, midsize truck is also making it. Of course, you know, also Ford has the all-electric Mustang, the all-electric Ford Lightning, Porsche, the Porsche Taycan. Um, VW has been doing a lot of advertising for their new all-electric ID4. So again, lots of competition coming to the markets in electric vehicles. And the questions will be, of course, who gets the market share? This is going to be a market share battle ultimately. And Tesla really has the most to lose at this point. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Real Science Roberts. Brent Clinton, of course, uh, driving our length challenge bus as we move into the middle of November. Man end of the year is fast approaching. Of course, that means a couple of things, as we talked about at the beginning of the show. Mutual funds getting ready to distribute their capital gains for the year. And what that means is, is 
that since mutual fund managers, okay, so first of all, if I run a mutual fund of any type, generally the investment policy requires me to have virtually all my money invested. I can maybe hold 5% cash, but that's about the limit of how much cash I can, I can hold. So given the run in the market this year, a lot of managers are really, really allocated. In other words, they have very little cash on hand in their mutual funds because they're trying to eke out as much return out of the market as they can get. So in order to, and, and at the end of every year, they have to distribute out their capital gains for the year, if they have them, their interest and dividend income from their funds. And you can get those through a few different measures. One, as we always recommend, you should take that in cash. You should not take it in additional shares. And the reason for taking it in cash is you can always buy more shares in the fund if you want. But if you have the cash coming in, you can either hold the cash for safety reasons or use it from, for some other investment, et cetera. But dividend reinvesting has some drawbacks. We'll get into that on another show uh, down the road. But they've got to make those distributions. So you can either get your distributions in the form of cash or in shares of the company. Now, let me tell you something, because I get this email every year. Every year I get bombarded about this time of year in the next couple of weeks. I'm about to start getting, you know, hundreds of emails from people going, I don't understand what just happened with my mutual fund. I woke up this morning and the fund's down a dollar, right? Or whatever it is. That's the distribution. Now, what will happen is, is you're going to wake up one morning in the next few weeks. If you own mutual funds, you're going to wake up and there's going to be a very sharp price decline in your fund. And you're going to show a big red tick on your on your finance, on your statement that day. Right. You're going to say, Man, what happened? Right. I mean, my mutual funds down, you know, a full point or a point and a half, whatever it is. There's this big drop in the mutual fund. Well, you'll be searching news everywhere and there's not there's no news. I can't figure out what's going on. Why is my fund down? That's why I start getting emails. That's the distribution. Now, in a couple of days, you're either going to get, depending on how that you have elected to choose your distributions, if you have cho chosen your distributions to come in cash, you're going to have a cash deposit into your account in a couple of days, and your account balance will go back to normal. Or, in a couple of days, you will get more shares of the fund if you're doing dividend reinvestment. Don't freak out on the cash drops. It's just the distribution. We go through this every single year, and every single year I get the same set of emails, and the only ones that upset me, I don't mind getting the emails, and I'm happy to answer them for you if you happen to get one. The only ones that upset me are the ones, it's, it's when I get the same email from the same person every year. <laughs> Eventually you should learn. This is how this works. <laughs> and you know who I'm talking about, Mom. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> just joking. Uh, anyway, um, so, yeah, that's coming up. Now, when those distributions occur, again, we have a market that is very overbought, very extended, as I said at the, the opening segment. When we get into mutual fund distributions, that is going to put some downside pressure on stock prices. So just be aware we could have a little bit of a correction here over the next couple of weeks as we go through that distribution period. One other thing here. Uh, there was this, uh, uh, Brent gave me an article this morning um, on my note page, Wall Street permanently changed by meme stocks. Now, this has been one of the topics of conversation this year. You know, stocks like AMC and uh, GameStop and 
a lot of these SPACs that have been come out, what we've seen here is these retail traders, you know, pile into these stocks and they run them up and force a short squeeze in the markets. And they think they're very smart. And they think that they've got the tiger by the tail at this point. Let me just assure you, they don't. Let me read to you a little clip from uh, this article. It was on Yahoo Finance this morning. The meme stock phenomenon may have been considered a fad by some, but its longevity is proof that it's here to stay. That uh, is said by one prominent retail trader. Here's his quote. It really feels like the foundation of Wall Street and how stocks are interpreted, viewed, and how people make their decisions. It almost feels like it's prominently changed. It seems like we're seeing Wall Street shift before our very eyes. Now, this is by a guy named Matt Kors, who's probably all of 14 years old. He may be a little older than that, but when you're my age, everybody looks 14 um, if you're under the age of 30. So here's my point, though, about this. We're seeing a lot, I'm seeing a lot of articles being written by people that have never been through a bear market. And look, it's understandable. Um, this bull market started in 2009. And there's a whole rash of investors that came to the market in 2010, 11, and 12 that they were coming of age. They were becoming of, of investment age at 18, 19, 20 in that time frame. And they were starting to put money to work in the markets. And they've seen nothing but a rising bull market. And, of course, since the lockdown uh, of the economy and you know floods of liquidity and money being sent directly to households, we saw a lot of those young individuals that didn't have money to invest previously. All of a sudden, they've got a $1,400 check. And they can open up a Robinhood account and log on to Wall Street Reddit bets, and now they're trading stocks for a living. Ladies and gentlemen, I have seen this more times than I can count in my career over the last 30 years. And yes, I am old. I am a boomer. And yes, they say that boomers don't get it. Yes, we get it. We just know that how this ends, right? We've seen this before. And no, retail traders have not figured out how to best Wall Street. Maybe for the moment they have. And this occurs from time to time. There are points in history. Go back to 1999. We saw a lot of the same things. Look like retail traders had the tiger by the tail in 1999, even early 2000. You know, um, we were people were loading up on uh, getting a computer and going to some, you know, off-site center where they could sit, sit down and day trade all day. They, they thought they had it made. And then the market crashed. And by the time the market crash was over, they didn't exist anymore. Wall Street wins this game, right? Look, I don't care what you want to call yourself. You can call yourself an investor all day long. You're not an investor. You're a speculator. All you're doing is buying shares of stock at one price, and you're hoping to sell them at another. You don't have any input into the business. You've got no control over the board of directors. You can't influence what products they sell or what they do with their money. All you can do is try to ride the stock price. That's speculation, pure and simple. You're not an investor. The average hold time for stocks is less than six months. You are not an investor. You're a speculator. And as such, you need to understand the dynamics of the speculation game. And in the dynamics of a speculation game, the house always wins. Because Wall Street, in this case, as opposed to Las Vegas, where the house sets the odds and controls the games, in Wall Street, Wall Street controls the flow of capital. And at some point, guys who are a whole lot smarter than you 
are going to figure out a way to take your money away from you because they always do. That's what they do. That is their job. You know, this is what people tend to forget. So all these young investors trading options, as an example, they forget that there is somebody on the other side of that trade that is hedging risk. And at some point, something goes wrong and you lose all your money and they take it from you. That's their job. They are risk managers. They are hedgers. That's what they do in terms of option contracts, et cetera. There's always another side to every bet. The problem for the young retail investor is that they've never seen a bear market. They really don't know what happens during a bear market. They don't understand that over a very long period of time, over the course of months, nothing works. And you wind up losing a whole lot of capital. When you see articles like this, where you have a young guy saying, oh, retail traders have now conquered Wall Street, I would argue two things with you. One, this is a good sign. You're probably getting fairly close to a peak in the market. And two, the long-term game always resides with the house, not to speculate. Just remember what side of the investment coin you're on. Wrap up the show for the day. Get by our website. Our new article is out talking about the, the Fed's naivete, as they say in France, in France, of the laws of physics and the financial markets. That's all. That's on the website now. Of course, our latest newsletter, Did the Fed Just Set the Market Up for Crash? Also on the website as well. That's all at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Simply go there, get our blogs, newsletter, send us emails. Listen to what we can do to help you and sign up for this weekend's Candid Coffee where I'm going to be hanging out with Danny and Richard talking about markets. See you there.